0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, last week we talked about uh, the widow and the unjust judge, if you remember that, and we talked about uh, a parable, and this week we're gonna talk about another parable. Parables, Jesus started teaching early in his ministry with parables when people mocked him and they didn't didn't want to listen to his message and they, they, some had scorn in their hearts and in what they were saying. So Jesus decided, you know what, I'm going to switch to a subtle thing. I'm not going to come straight out and tell the truth about the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell stories that hide the meaning. And each story is going to have some aspect of the kingdom of God that's very important for us to know. But those who mock and scoff and they don't have open hearts, they won't see the truth. The story will hide it. But those who are hungry, they'll see the truth in the story. And each story has some aspect of the kingdom of God that's very important for us to know. And so uh, Jesus, at a certain time, I think it was in Matthew 13 or somewhere in there, he said after that he never taught anymore except by parables. And that is for those with hungry hearts that we would see the meaning and those who who don't and have hard hearts would miss it. So we're gonna do um, Another parable tonight. As I said before, each aspect is about the kingdom of God. Last week, the widow and the unjust judge, we talked about uh, it was about persistent faith, it was about uh, hanging on, it was about delay. And and, and what to do with it, what to do with delay, the purpose of delay. And um, it even talked about how God tarries long and he delays sometimes in answering his people when they're after something. And it, to the point that you, you and I might be tempted to think he doesn't care. And we're supposed to push past that and, uh, and not get offended with God but stay at it and eventually we will see that he will come through for his children. We talked about the purpose and all the great things that happen through that. And um, I'm gonna tell you what this week, I wanna talk about another parable, the parable of the 10 virgins. These are challenging times we live in. Signs in the heavens, signs of the times, they all point to the fact Jesus is coming back very, very soon. Second uh, Peter three, verse three and four says, "'Know this, in the last days scoffers will come, and uh, they will be walking according to their own lust, saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things to seem to continue from the beginning of creation.'" Now, A lot of people are saying that today. We talk about signs in the heavens. They're looking and everybody's saying, he's coming soon, he's coming soon, he's coming soon. But then he just doesn't seem to come. This parable that we're gonna talk about today talks about more waiting, more delay, more tarrying but there's a purpose in it all. And the, the question that Jesus left with the parable of the widow and the unjust judge was his last thing. He says, are you gonna hang on? He says, when I come back, are you gonna, am I gonna find any faith on the earth? And if he was to come back here and say, am I going to find any faith here? The answer would be, yes. that's what I thought. It's the Wednesday night crowd, the few, the proud, the faithful, you guys are awesome. Uh, so here it is again: the parable of the ten virgins. Um, Jesus' coming is at the door. Sooner or later, he's actually going to come. This is what he says in Hebrews ten thirty-seven: for yet a little while more delay, and he who is coming, he will come, and he will not tarry. One other interesting thing I'll just throw out before I go into this parable is Mark thirteen twenty-eight through thirty. People do ask me, well, a lot of signs of the times have happened, but how do you know it's really that far gone, that we're really at the end of the end of the age? And my favorite verse is this, Mark 13, 28, when they said, what is gonna be the sign of your coming? What, what? He had just given them a whole bunch of signs, but he said, they asked him again, help us dial it in a little more, and he said this. Well, from this parable of the fig tree, he says, when its branch is already tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer's near. So you know when you see all these things happening, know that it is near at the door. surely I say that this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Here's the thing: he's basically the fig tree is the nation of Israel, and he says, When you see the regathering and the rebirth of the nation of Israel, and it blossoms into the world superpower, it's come become today, he says, you know that the time is getting very, very, very close, that my hand is on the doorknob. It's right at the very door, and the generation that sees this rebirth, this emergence on the world stage won't pass away till everything's fulfilled. So even though we don't know the day and the hour, we know it's dialed all the way there. And with that in mind, uh, we really need to pay attention on how we are living as we live and we expect and wait for the coming of the bridegroom, Jesus. And um, Jesus was, he wanted to dial it in so that people would really see and feel what, what kind of expectancy we need to have, how prepared we need to be. And so he said, I'm gonna tell you this, a parable about 10 virgins. He said, Matthew 25, he says, at that time, he says, the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to 10 bridesmaids who took their oil lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now, five of them were foolish and five were wise because when the foolish ones took their lamps, they didn't take any oil with them, but the wise ones took flasks of oil for their lamps, and since the groom was late, In another version, it says delayed. In another version, it says because he tarried, he didn't come when they expected him to. He held off. All of them became sleepy and lay down. We see that same tarry thing here. But at midnight, there was a cry and there came a shout. The groom is here. Come out to meet him. And then all the bridesmaids woke up and they got their lamps ready. And the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the wise one replied, replied, no, then there won't be enough for us. You better go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. While they were away buying it, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was closed. Later, the other bridesmaids arrived and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said, I tell you with all certainty, I do not know you, so keep on watching because you don't know the day or the hour. Now, the storyline for this parable is basically is based on a Jewish wedding. In fact, Jesus and much of his teaching and the way he related to his disciples and his followers was all based on the romance uh, surrounding Jewish tradition and a Jewish wedding. Now, every, a lot of you probably know some of this, but in a Jewish wedding, it was first important when when uh, a young man saw. Young lady and the parents all got together, and this pretty soon, little Johnny and little Susie are over here, and the dad and the mom and the parents are looking together, and finally they get together, and these two got a little thing that they could get going, and so they identify that, and they get together, and the first step is happening is the father of the bride and the father of the groom they 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 meet, and the young man who wants to propose to this young lady, they all meet together and they discuss the possibility of a relationship. And a dowry, a price is reached for the value of the lady. The, uh, What's she worth? What will it cost to replace uh, with servants and the work that she's done and the value that she has? You know, is she a 10 camel girl or a five camel girl? Uh, I remember once in a tour to Israel, I, I sold I think I sold one of uh, one of the people on the tour, there's a beautiful young lady on there, and I sold her to the camel driver for 10 camels uh, wh- while uh, we were all on the Mount of Olives, and uh, it was pretty hilarious. But this is what they did. They sat down and said, what's little Susie worth? What's she worth? What What is this worth? And they'd come up with a price, and they would agree on the price, and then they would draw up the contract for the... Up, for the up and coming marriage and relationship it was called the katuba and it would lay out all the terms for the relationship and then after the dowry price was reached and this contract was addressed the the bride to be and the groom would get together and they would take a cup of wine and this would be the cup of the covenant and it's just like in the communion ceremony it would be they would pledge their lives to each other, and it was pledging to a blood covenant between them for life, and they would do this. This was called the Kidishun. and um, the, the groom would give the cup to the bride-to-be. This would have marked the beginning of an official engagement period. Even though the wedding had not been consummated, now the two of them were betrothed to one another. They legally already belonged to one another, and here's what would happen. The Groom would go over to his father's house and mansion, and he would build a bridal chamber or a place for them on the property for their honeymoon and for a year of of uh, of their their first year of marriage. And then the, the the bride, you know, she would start primping herself and getting ready. You know, she'd go to White House Black Market, she'd go get a, buy buy a bunch of clothes and go hit hit uh, Sephora and all these places and get all kinds of makeup and her girlfriends and throw a bunch of parties and eat weight watcher dinners and live miserably and try to get skinny and nice and perfect you know and just primping and watching and everything getting in shape to be ready for the groom and for this wedding event and it it was quite a big deal the bridesmaids and everything else this whole tradition is very romantic meanwhile the the groom would go and he'd he'd prepare a place now I want you I want I want you to say I want you to see this that Jesus Is talking, and he's talked to us. He talked to his disciples, and when he was talking to his disciples in his word, he was talking to us. This romance, the divine romance that we are to have with the Lord of the universe, what did he say? What did he say at the communion? He says, there's a dowry I'm going to pay for you. He says, this cup of the covenant is the covenant of my blood. It's the dowry what I'm gonna pay to have, have a relationship, a living relationship with you. And you know what? In my Father's house are many mansions. If there wasn't so, I would have told you. And guess what I'm gonna do? After this little kiddushun, this covenant thing together that's gonna mark the beginning of a new relationship, are many, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, and when it's all ready, I'm gonna come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Meanwhile, the bride is she 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 is getting ready, and now the period of time goes on in this story. And Jesus is sending a tremendous message to the church here with his parable. She's getting ready, and he gets closer and closer and closer. She doesn't know the day, she doesn't know the hour. They gotta go to sleep at night, the makeup's sitting right here. The, the, the clothes are right here. One bridesmaid's sleeping out on the porch, the other one's out there on the, on the lawn in a pup tent, you know, to, because the whole element was surprise. They actually tried to catch the bride off guard. Why? Because this forced the bride to be at her best game, totally on it, totally into it, totally pumped. And so the element of surprise, the big deal was we're gonna surprise. And Jesus says, look it, I don't care if Perry Stone, I don't care who, Derek Prince, who has now passed away, any eschatology teacher, no matter how much you try to dial in when I'm coming, you just aren't gonna know. You can pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever, you don't know when I'm coming to get you. You all see the times and you're preparing yourselves but don't think. He says, in fact, I don't even know. Only the Father Himself knows. Oh, and it's a floating day to boot. It says, because our living can hasten his coming by the way we prepare and live. So, anyhow, to make a long story short, this is what happens. And she's she's sleeping with one eye open with a twitch. You know, you know, she's wearing that non-running makeup, so maybe she can get a head start. And she's laying there in the bed, and then suddenly at midnight, BAM! Here's the t- and the guys come around and and they go, the bride girl's coming, get the veil, get the clothes, slap on the, I don't think they had girdles in that day, but slap on f- their clothes. She's running out there, makeup's on there, they're looking at her, holding a mirror while she runs to get out the... and they get all ready and this guy comes and he sweeps her away to the wedding feast. Now here's the thing that's interesting. The whole culminating step of the marriage itself is called the nisun, means, which means to carry off. And... He comes and he carries them off, and then there's a huge wedding. She knew the approximate timing, but she didn't know. So here's the thing. It's very, very, very interesting. The kingdom of God, the thrust of this parable is, we do not know. We have a groom who's preparing a place for us, a 2,000-year construction project. The greatest thing that eye hasn't seen or ear hasn't seen The unbelievable thing that he is preparing for us. And he's getting ready to come back and receive us to himself. And, and and meanwhile, we, we got to get ready. We've got to have our act together. We got to be on our best game. We are betrothed. We are not married to the world. We're not married to any other spirit than his Holy Spirit. And you and I, we need to be on our game. And what happens when it goes on and on and on and he doesn't come back? We tend to let the makeup tip over. We tend to gain a couple extra pounds. We tend to get a little sluffy and we start to cruise a little. And that is not how our God and how our groom wants us to be. So this is the thing. You and I have got to, got to be ready. And to do this, the whole principle of surprise, the whole do this, we got to have oil in our lamps. We got to have oil in our lamps. And you see something pretty interesting here. By the way, the ten virgins represent the church, the United Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, All 10 of them do. And by the way, Jewish people, the number 10 had great significance because 10 was the minimal number at which they were considered a congregation. Uh, Jewish people considered whenever the 10 people were in a place, they had to build a synagogue and that was a congregation. If there were nine, that's not a congregation. So Jesus, that number 10 is significant. Five wise, five foolish oil represents the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, that's what it represents, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, personal holiness and character developing; these things takes time, and they're costly. You know, he said, "Remember when they didn't have enough oil? They said you better go buy some." What is the cost of the oil? Number one, it takes time for oil to develop. It, you can't just you can't just. Bang, it's non-transferable. They said, give us some of your oil. The anointing and the personal godliness and fruit of the spirit that grows in our life is non-transferable. Each guy, each gal has got to grow it for themselves over the process of time. And the cost, he said, go buy the oil. What's the cost? I'll tell you what the cost of the oil is. The cost is the death, the systematic putting to death of your old nature and its ways. The time and energy you and I experience Replacing the old nature with all the attributes of God and the holiness and character that he provides It's costly It means day in day out Declaring death to the old nature that used to rule us And embracing the life and the obedience and the patterns in scripture This is the oil and that fruit grows until you and I just don't look like we used to be We're just not ungodly anymore We're not impure. We're not unholy. We're set apart. We're betrothed. We're preparing ourselves to get married to utter perfection. Look at this. The fruit of the Spirit comes from walking in the Spirit every day, led by the Holy Spirit. Romans eight thirteen. if we live according to the flesh, we die. But if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the wadi, we will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. As we do this, we'll be rich in good works and develop personal, godly, character. non-transferable oil. So we see that five were ready. They were, building, they, were, they were building their lives up, and they had the fruit of the Spirit. They had the oil. They had that personal anointing, that, that preparedness. And they went, and when the bridegroom came, they went with him to the feast, but the other five had to go buy oil. They had to, and while they were doing this and paying that price, they missed out on something huge. And they came to the wedding feast late and tried to get in, knocked on the door, and he came out, the groom, and said, they said, Lord, Lord, let He goes, I'm telling you, I don't know you. Now, what does that mean? People say, does that mean they're not Christians? No, 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 no. But here's the thing. If you look back in the Greek and the Hebrew, the word know there is the exact same word that it says, What it talked about the intimate relationship that Adam had with his wife Eve. An intimate, intimate relationship personal, consummating relationship. So this is what the groom was saying. He says, "He says, you guys, I never had a living, personal, intimate, ongoing relationship with you. It wasn't talking about just mental assent of acknowledging someone. He says, I, I've never had a living, intimate, working relationship with you. And that is really, really something. And so it says they end up in outer darkness, outside, you know, People say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean, the, the, uh, first of all, parables aren't theology. They're stories meant to give us lessons and teach us. We don't build theological cases on them. Uh, but I will tell you this, the outer darkness, uh, many, many Bible teachers and scholars, and I tend to agree with them, think and believe that those who are ready, those who have purified themselves and are eagerly expecting it period. He will come like a thief in the night. He'll snatch us away, and if we're ready, we're going to go with him, and we're going to not, we're going to rule and reign with him, and those who are ready will receive the highest honor, and they will be part of a celebration, an intimate celebration that many others, though born again, will miss. Perry Stone, uh, he tends to think that it's talking about the catching away of the church, and it certainly is appropriate because this is about a wedding. It's about a marriage. It's about being ready. It's about being caught up away and missing out or attaining. It makes a lot of sense. And the outer darkness, it says out in the outer darkness, it says where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It says it sounds like those five virgins are going straight to hell. No, that's not that either. It's talking about missing out on God's best, being swept away, being counted worthy to escape all that's coming on the world because we all know that the day of the Lord's coming like a thief in the night, and the day of the Lord is not 24 hours. It's a whole period of time, a seven-year period of judgment. We all know the day of the Lord is talking about a period of time, and we weren't appointed to wrath, but if you and I aren't ready, I am thinking that this might infer to this, and the outer darkness would be what's referred to in Zephaniah chapter one, verse 14 and 15. It says, the terrible of the day of the Lord is near, the day of bitter tears, a day when strong men will cry out. It will be a day of the Lord's anger when it's poured out, a day of terrible distress and anguish, ruin and desolation, a day of gross darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and utter blackness. I don't wanna be there, how about you? Here's what I wanna say today, is that you and I, we need to be ready. Listen to what it says here, it says, Revelation 3-3 is talking to us, He, he loves us, he wants intimate relationship with us, he wants us to be ready, because he wants us to share the utter joys, and rewards that he has for us. Revelation 3.3, 3, if you're not alert, I will come like a thief and you won't know the time I come to you. Revelation 3.10, because you have obeyed my command to endure, I will keep you from the hour of testing that's coming on the whole earth to test those living on the earth. Revelation 3.11 I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so nobody takes your victor's crown. Do you know what that means? Each one, A crown? A crown is your mission, the reward for your mission and calling in this life and if you and I don't do it, God will have to have somebody else do it and they will get the reward. Let's make sure we hold on to the mission, the calling the post God has given us and say God I'm going to nail this thing down. I'm going to live it. I'm going to walk it. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold the Line. Nobody's taking this crown. You have a portion for me. I will live and walk in that portion and nobody's taking my crown. Matthew 24, 42, keep on watching. You don't know what day your Lord's coming. Be sure of this, if the owner of the house had known when he was, the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. You too must be ready for the son of man is coming an hour when you don't expect. And, and, and it goes, let us continue, Hebrews 10, 24, to motivate each other to love and good deeds, not neglecting the, the meeting together like we're doing here tonight Is is the habit of son, and encouraging each other all the more, even as we see the day of the Lord drawing nearer. Now, Jesus starts to talk about technical stuff. He says this, beware. Luke 21, 34, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting or which is overeating, gluttony, or drunkenness, or the cares of this life. So we're too busy to dial in an intimate relationship with the Lord. For as a snare, it will come on all who dwell on the earth. Watch and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. The parable of the ten virgins is about being ready. It's about not missing out on the very best things that he has planned for us. It's about the romance of an intimate relationship. It's about being betrothed to the Lord and to him only and denying the spirit of this age and living in faith even though he waits and he doesn't come and he waits and he doesn't come, you know sooner or later he will come and you will be ready. As I begin to close, two things to consider. The two most important things, if you're concerning our lives, that if we will consider these two things, we will be ready and we will not be ashamed at his coming. Number one, we need to do the work that God's called us to do. Each one of us has a life's mission, has a workload that God has predetermined before you were ever born. Before I was ever born, he knew what he wanted for me. He knew what he had for me. He knew what he wanted me to do. And you and I are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Two ways to be ready, number one that way. We must say, I, I mean I say God, one of my prayers is, "Is not God heal me from a headache or anything like that or a moment meet my need today. One of my driving prayers in my life and you should make it yours is God, Don't let me die, don't let me live every day that's written in your book in Psalm 139. I claim to live every day that's in your book. Don't let me fall short of the entire workload that you have predetermined for me. Let me do it, let me walk it. Give me your grace to go the full course and do that. Each one of us has one. Acts 13, 36 says, when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his ancestors. He had a purpose in his generation, and you and I, everyone, whether you're a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord or some some exalted thing, either one, they're important for us to do. And so John 9, 4, as long as it's day, we must work the work of him who sent me. And the last thing I wanna talk about with good deeds, it's so important, important. look, let's bounce. Now we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Revelation, you've made it, you've made it, you're there, you're partying, the place is going crazy, you're having a great time. It said, let us be glad and rejoice, Revelation 19, and give honor for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and the bride has prepared herself and she has been given the finest pure linen to wear for that fine linen represents the good deeds Of God's holy people. Linen isn't covering. It's revealing. It's see-through. And God wants people to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It's part of your wedding clothing. It's part of the bride's garments and array, a wispy, beautiful array of see-through linen that people can see your Good works. We don't get saved by good works, but once you're right with God, we should be stacking up good works like Cordwood, saying, God, take my money, take my energy, take my time, take every talent that I have and teach me how to use it and leverage it for your kingdom so you can get glory out of my life. That's the first way to make sure that we're totally primed, ready, betrothed, set apart. The second thing is godly character. Many years, as Peter said this, He says, Fierce Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Seeing as everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? We ought to live holy, godly lives as we look forward to the day of God. And look at that speed, it's coming. It's a floating day. He hasn't set the day. It's based on the way we prepare ourselves and speed its coming. So then, dear friends, 1 Peter, 2 Peter 3:14, since we're looking forward to all this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. That means listening to the Holy Spirit's voice in our conscience every day, all day. It doesn't mean just not watching pornography or going to a bad movie or hanging around with rotten friends or getting stoned or drunk. Yes, those are obvious sins that people shouldn't do. But you know what God's after? He's after purity and utter perfection where our thought life and our actions literally are godly and holy, where the Holy Spirit's shining in us and through us to such a degree that we just don't like any kind of sin at all. We just want to be united with him. He that's joined to the Lord, 1 Corinthians six seventeen, is one spirit with him, married, one. And his thoughts, his heart, godly character. 2 Corinthians five ten. we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. When it's all done, there's going to be a day when we all stand before him. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a judgment to see whether you're saved or not. You're in. You're born again. You know him. But he's gonna look at our works. And the Bible says this. He says the fire will try every man's work to see how godly, how much, what we did with the godly character that we were to put on and the godly works that we were to do. And it'll test who we are and what we are. And it says if a man falls short in these... In these areas it says his work will be burned and he'll suffer loss but he himself will be saved though as by fire smoke on your clothes church we want to be ready for him we want to be living spotless lives his coming is at the door let's make sure we live that way the song says when our labors all retire there'll be a trial by fire will your treasure Pass the test, or will it burn up with the rest? We can be built on a sure foundation. Will your building be left unshaken when it all comes down to rubble? Will it be wood, hay, or stubble, or precious stones, gold, and silver? Are you really sure? For we all will stand at the Bema seat. It will be revealed, it will be complete. Will there be reward in the fiery heat when we see our lives? At the Bema seat, every talent will be surely counted. Every word will have to be accounted. Not a story will be left untold. We will stand and watch the truth unfold. Every score will be evened. Every motive will be tried. He'll give reward to the faithful. Will we receive or be denied? For we all will stand at the Bema seat. It will be revealed. It will be complete. Will there be reward in the fiery heat when we see our lives at the Bema seat? Church, We've been given the oil of the Holy Spirit. Let's realize that sacredness of the Trinity lives inside us. And let's live godly lives that reflect who he is, who we are about to be married to, and who is coming back for us. Amen? Will you please bow your heads? Will you please bow your heads? If you're here tonight and you're not sure you're right with God... You, you know about God. You know about church. You even dipped around and, and, and been around those things. In your head, you know about God, but you don't have a personal living relationship with him that's, that's literally revolutionized your life, and you don't have the peace of God. You don't know for sure you're right with him. Tonight, you can know that. We're not going to call you forward. When we pray with you, we'll all pray together right now together and don't be self-conscious, but do business with God. Make things right with God. You say, Pastor, how do I step from the place I am into a living relationship like this? How do I get my name in the book of life? How do I get the peace of God? How do I get on this train? The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart, you believe, And with your mouth, you speak it, and it completes the cycle, just like getting married. I do get you married. When this happens, the peace of God will flood your heart. You'll know you've passed from death unto life, and his Holy Spirit will begin to lead you in a new direction, in a new path. And the enemy's power in your life will be broken, all when you ask him in. If that's you, just for a moment, Slip your hand up and put it back down. Don't leave here not right just for a moment. Slip your hand up and put it back down. I see your hand over there. God bless you. Anyone else don't miss this moment. Don't ever want to leave without offering this. The Bible says all the angels in heaven rejoice when one person even gets right with God. And so Let's pray with this one who wants to get right with God. Let's all pray together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again. I ask you into my heart. Forgive my sins. Make me your child. I receive your grace. Thank you for saving me. I will follow you. Lord, I pray that the peace of God that passes all understanding will flood the hearts of this person, this beautiful person that you died to save, will fill their heart. We cancel the enemy's plans for their life in the name of Jesus. Open a new and living way before them. And Father, we claim your promise in the word that says you who started a good work in them this day will perform it and stay with them and complete the work you've started till one day they see you face to face. Lord, let not one person here, let us, none of us, be missing what you have for us. God, help us to walk, all of us, more closely to you. Help us to prepare our hearts, break up our fallow ground, and live lives that glorify you. Lord, help us do the work you've called us to do. And, Lord, that we may be found worthy to stand in glory with you and and be at the wedding supper and share in ruling and reigning with you when you come into your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Give God a hand and thank him for his grace. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.